We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today we're talking about making indie films, directing commercials, working with actors, and generally how to go about making films and commercials. I'm Giles Alderson, I'm the producer of the horror comedy Serial Killer's Guide to Life, director of the vampire documentary World of Darkness, and the psychological horror feature film The Dare, and the vegan documentary with Dan Richardson, and the new TV pilot, Not For Profit. If you're just joining us, this podcast is all about how to make films, trying to make films, how to get your project off the ground if you're a screenwriter, you're a filmmaker, producer, whatever you are. And I sometimes try and inspire you and say, listen, do get off your ass, do go out there and do make a film now. Go do it after you finish listening to this. Even stop this. If that means you go make a film or go write your script or go speak to someone about making your film, then that means the world to me because that's what it's about. It's about inspiring you to go do it. So with that in mind, Raindance are running the 15-second Halloween competition. Basically, you've got to submit the shortest, scariest film you can make and you can get your chance to have your film played at Raindance 2019. It's that simple. Go out there now with your iPhone, think of an idea, what scares you, and go shoot it. Easy. And everyone who enters the competition will receive 10% off any Raindance course worldwide. How's that? Also, if you do win, you get a Raindance membership. All you've got to do to enter is just tweet your link to at Raindance and use the hashtag... Uh, 15 second horror all the links will be in the show notes what more do you need to go be inspired to make your film go do it get up your ass and do it there's a perfect opportunity doesn't matter if it's rubbish doesn't matter if you don't submit it it really doesn't just go and attempt because that's you being a filmmaker trying it that's all you can do Okay, Indie Film Shoutouts this week. Thank you very much for all those who've retweeted and given us some love. Those people who've given us extra love or spoke to me this week. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Shoutouts go to Stephen Parker, Ian O'Neill, Dan Knight, Adam Revez, uh, Will Kenning, Sean Coleman from Affilinet, and Zach Lipovsky from Shotlister. And Zach is going to be on the um, podcast soon talking about his films that he's made and also about the app Shotlister. Look forward to that. It's going to be great. And Mark Leatham, he sent me uh, a mail, and I really appreciate this, about his short film, which he made called Eric Clapton. And he made this in his house, um, in his front room, and it looks incredible. You'd never guess that. It's really cool. It's a really good short film. I've watched it and I really enjoyed it. Well done, Mark. But what he's done is he's written a blog about making that film. And it's superb. It's a really great blog about making your first short. Go to pseudomyopiafilms.com or click the link that's in the show notes and go check that out. Um, Basically, he's telling you, anyone can go make a short film, and you can. This is how he did it, and I want you to tell me how you did yours as well and follow Mark's lead there. Go read his blog links in the show notes okay a little favour to ask if you like this podcast and you're listening to it so I hope you are then go tell your mates pass this on because it helps me do this the more listeners we get the more chance I'm going to carry on doing this so why not go do that support me support the filmmakers podcast get the word out and why not go to iTunes now whatever you're doing if you're going for a run if you're on the tube maybe if you're in the car obviously not if you're driving um, go on your iTunes page click five stars and why not write a really lovely review for me that also makes me feel nice and it helps it just helps the podcast it actually does we are now members of so many lovely podcast groups and thank you for everyone who's listened so far to help us get on those podcast groups and thank you for listening today by the way thank you for spending your time with me and the filmmakers podcast in this case 
and all the places we are on. The Britpod scene is a really cool place to find other like-minded podcasts and the Podfix Network, where you can find some fantastic shows. You can go to at Podfix on Twitter and visit them at podfixnetwork.com and you can see the full lineup of incredible shows like So I Married a Movie Geek, More Gooder Than, um, In Session Film, In Portal Podcast, Weird With You, there's so many. That was just naming a few and they're all really cool. I listen to them and I enjoy them. I'm sure you will too. We're delighted to be on board with those guys. So thank you for having us. All right, let's get on with this week's podcast with the brilliant Mike Petchy. Filmmakers, get your pens ready. It's time to learn. Bring it on. It's a delight for me to welcome Mike Pesci to the Filmmakers Podcast. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of your show, so it's uh, cool to chat with you, brother. Wow, thank you. Because you've had quite an extensive career really for the last 18 years you know you're a director editor producer writer cinematographer yep uh, big time for the last you know sort of 10 years if, if, properly and you've made all sorts of different films what was your start why did you why did you start making films honestly i started when i was younger i, I thought that i would i wanted to be a comic book artist oh so wow. yeah okay. yeah and um I, i've told the story before but <laughs> i was a terrible student um, and part of the repercussions of that was that I was grounded all the time because my grades were terrible. So my mother, when I was a kid, was like, oh, if your grades suck, then you're not allowed to watch TV. Uh, uh, and so there was a huge gap <laughs> yeah. in uh, in my television viewing from when I was a kid. Because <laughs> your grades sucked, yeah. Because my grades were terrible. Mm. And um, so one thing I fell on uh, to fill the time were comic books. And I really fell in love with... Um, visual storytelling, like the the art of telling uh, or conveying action through panels, um, the art of like capturing uh, a very specific body language movement. I love that. And um, I thought, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be a comic artist. And I, I, I went and I took figure drawing courses and I was trained as a painter and I, I went through that whole process. Mm. Um, and then when I graduated from high school, I got rejected from the art school that I wanted to go to. Um, motherfuckers, and, uh, <laughs> dude! It's the same dude, old game. It's, oh, it's so it, like it completely derailed me. And yeah. then um, I happened to be working in a music store when I was in high school, and I really enjoyed um, playing music for people and finding new music. And I decided that you know what, maybe I'll get into radio. And so I went to a community college, got my first radio show, and the program manager came up to me and said, "Okay, look." At the top of the hour, you could only play the CDs with a green sticker. And at the bottom of the hour, you can only play the CDs that have a, a yellow sticker. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I'm like, why the fuck am I here? <laughs> like, yeah. What, what is the, this? Yeah. yeah. What is the purpose? Um, yep. And thankfully, I quit that immediately because that job <laughs> is is pretty much gone at this point. Yeah. Um, and I just happened to be taking a film course for credits. And um, I had never thought of movies other than... Uh, like being completely lost in them before that because this is pre YouTube. This is before, um, you know, behind the scenes videos were really a public thing. They're more like an industry thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like when I watched Indiana Jones, I never really thought that Indiana Jones was in my fucking living room, but I, <laughs> I just looked at it and went, this is a story. I, I don't care where it comes from. And I would get lost in movies. And when I went to my first film class, and we, I think we watched Citizen Kane, of course. Of course. And, and we watched uh, Blade Runner. Nice. And uh, the professor was like, you know, the cinematographer. I'm like, what is a cinematographer? And then it just sort of dawned on me. I'm like, oh, my God, there's someone. it's someone's job to dress these people. It's someone's job to, uh, you know, shoot and film this stuff. There's someone's job to light this stuff. And then there's someone at the top of it. And uh, it just occurred to me it was the best of everything that I loved. I mean, it's framing and compositions and everything from from comic books. And then it's uh, creating emotions and, and delivering music and sound. Um, and so I, I instantly fell in love with it. I jumped right in at that point. Did you start making something straight away? Well, no. See, I don't know if it's the same way in the UK, but here at least, and we're talking, you know, 18 mm-hmm. years ago, 19 years ago. Uh, here, if you wanted to be a filmmaker, you had to go to a quote unquote proper school. And I remember I was in a, I was in just a community college and I said to him, look, I want to, 
get my hands on a camera. Yeah. I want to do this stuff. And he's like, he's like, you're not going to be able to do that for at least two years. You have to take all of the accredited oh, courses. You have to take no all this sense, stuff. Does it? it makes no sense. No. And I, I, I said to him, I'm like, how much do each one of these goddamn courses cost? And he's like this much. And I go, yeah, I'm out of yeah, here. I, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to buy a camera with that money. I could buy four cameras. And learn how to do it myself. Exactly, dude. So I was just like, this yeah. is bullshit. And um, I ended up finding early on it, when they start sort of first started up uh, New York Film Academy, which was more of like a core structure. Uh, they were a bit more inexpensive. And I just basically went to work for a year and said, all right, I'm going to save up whatever I need to take this course. This, I think it was like a half year course. Um, and then moved to New York okay. to do it. And I, I mean, it didn't really teach me how to direct. The one thing that that school really taught me was how to produce because I had to relocate to a, a giant city that I had no context and no family in. And over the course of a half year, um, I, I made, I directed three short films. And then I, as a cinematographer, shot like like three to four other ones. That. That's great. Um, you just get your hands dirty and shoot some stuff, right? Exactly. And they were teaching us like old school shit. This is pre-digital. So uh -huh. this was a black and white 60 millimeter film. Mm, um, and then we were cutting on old Steambacks, which mm, for the great. kids at home, that's cutting, taping yep. your film. Um, and so I'm happy I, I learned that way because I really learned how to be a, a smart shooter, a smart director, and learned how to make the most out of the certain amount of feet of film that I had when I was well, shooting. Well, you do, because you, you can't just like shoot digital and just go, oh, I'll just do it again, just do it again. You have to properly plan the shots you're going to do because you, you haven't got the footage. You haven't, um, you haven't got the, the tape. There's no more tape. You've got one take of this, one take of that. That's all you can afford. So Exactly. So you have to plan it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so that was kind of where I started. And then I was in New York uh, for a little bit afterwards. And a bunch of my buddies um, that I was uh, in class with were like, you're going to stay. Let's get an apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember just really thinking about it hard. And I was like, if I could do this here, I can only imagine the kind of stuff I could pull off with the connections that I have back at home and with, with everything that I have back in Boston. Um, and so I ended up making a call where I moved back into this city um, and then started my own company. And started doing like co corporate videos in the beginning. And then I started to get into doing commercials. And like I said, this was like the infancy of uh, digital. So this is like Canon XL1, Canon GL1. This is like early, early stuff. Um, and I'm just a young kid uh, that doesn't really have anything behind me. So I can't convince a lot of these old school film DPs to work for nothing. For right, me. right. Um, and so I was like, I got to teach myself how to shoot. And I was like, do I want to teach myself film and compete with all these old dudes? Or do I want to try to learn this new format, which is this digital format? And I did that. And uh, through the process of that, I became a, a cinematographer for a while. I was a photographer for a while. Mm -hmm. Still do. I still do that stuff for work. Um, right. And just learn the craft that way. Yeah. And you, you've made tons of shorts. You've made loads of... Well, I suppose music videos, promos, you've done the whole rounds. You've, you know, yeah. you've, you've paid your way, if you like. You've done what you needed to do to get to the place now where you're going, well, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing. You can walk on a film set, like you say, and talk to the right people and know how to handle it. Now, I think a lot of people get scared by their first film being the best film in the world. It has no. to win awards. It has to be amazing. And it, the likelihood is it won't be. And, <laughs> and understanding that and accepting that, that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's all right. I'll do the next one. As long as you don't, you know, it's something you still want to do, right? Then you carry on doing it. For sure, man. And yeah. and then, you know, there's this realization that it's okay to learn in the public eye. It's okay yeah. to actually create these things and put them out because that's the best way to learn. It, it, there's a lot of folks that I know that are very precious about their stuff and overly so where it'll uh, really sort of keep them back because they're like, I don't want to put this out. I don't want to, I don't think I should do this because it's not good enough. And it, you, I'm just like, dude, go back and look at the career of Steven Spielberg. Exactly. I mean, that guy, yeah. he, he learned in television. He learned doing episodes of Columbo. Mm -hmm. You know, he learned, uh, you know, doing uh, Duel or not Duel. Uh, yeah, yeah, Duel, Duel the truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I... I 
I think that filmmaking, and I still, I still learn about it, dude. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, pre, I'm in pre-pro, I'm in pre-pro right now for a major commercial that I'm shooting in uh, two days, and like mm-hmm. we've got like, like uh, a camera unit, B camera unit. I've got multiple assistant directors. I've got like an entire uh, three or four streets in a neighborhood locked down. Oh with, man, uh, that's gonna be amazing. Yeah, like drones and like yep. uh, gators and Steadicam. And I, you know, you're still kind of like, yeah, all right. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And and really, you're you just find your confidence, mm. and you find uh, with the experience that you get from all those early films that you basically are allowed to fuck up on. You you come up with your toolkit of of uh, safety shit. So like you're yeah. sort of sitting there going like, oh my god, this doesn't work. Let me fall back on these tricks that I learned back in the day. And, yes. And, I do that. I do that all the time. And having the right people around you as well, I think is you, you find your tribe, you find your people and you know that if you're struggling, you know that if you're going, I've no fucking idea on this shot, you know that your DP or your first will just go, you're doing that, aren't you? This is what you mean to do. And you go, yep, that was it. Thank you. And having that (laughs) trust around you is vital. Yes. I think think that's so important. Yeah. I've got a really good team of folks that we've been to war together. And like you said earlier, it's, it's, you know, I have sometimes trouble, especially when I lose sleep because of the, these jobs, I have trouble uh, verbalizing. And a lot of times you'll find me on set just sort of going like, uh, uh, like grunting, grunting and groaning. Yeah. The guys that you work with long enough just sort of nod and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they know exactly. Totally. I've got that with Andy yeah. now, my DOP, I use a lot. I'll just sort of grunt. I'll go, well, I'm thinking of, um, and then you'll go, yeah, for you mean, um, mm, and I'll go, yeah. And that was it. That's, that's it. <laughs> to anyone else, it's like, I'm sorry, did you just have a conversation? They're like, yeah, we did. It made total sense to us. And he's setting up what I wanted, what I had in my head. And that's, it is vital. It really yeah. is vital. And that's, and again, then you'll, you'll agree with this. It's the, the planning you've done beforehand. That's all of it, dude. Yeah. I mean, like dir- directing in general, I don't, I can't, mm, I don't want to say I can't do, I don't mm. like to do the last minute shit. Like for me, I like planning is really great and, and I can get upset and stressed while I'm planning and then I'll really only have it affect me. Which I which I like because I can sit there and go like oh, it would be really great if I, if this coverage was great or I wish I could and just, like and I I storyboard because of my training with the comic book stuff so I, I do a lot of that um, but um, planning is everything and then what I try to do is I'll put together a plan I'll put together boards when I'm doing a, a film project I, I I love to have all my boards up for everybody to see like it doesn't matter yeah. like it could yeah. be. You could be an extra and walk over to the wall and look at the wall and just go, oh, here's the movie, yeah. you know? And so so then everybody's on the same page. I love that. That's great. And the extra Dude. will be over the moon with that because they'll understand what you're actually trying to do. Exactly. And then you're hitting this point with your crew where like if you're, you know, day seven and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's exhausted and you've done like a couple 15-hour days in a row or, you know, you had a day off and everybody went out and got super drunk and yeah. came back with hangovers. Uh-huh. Then you can go, look, just follow the boards <laughs> until yeah. we get our footing. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, we'll figure it out yeah. after that. Did so. you, do you deviate from the boards sometimes? Yeah. So what I try to do is I have everything planned out. So like I said, the worst case scenario, if I just follow the boards, then it'll be a movie. Right. Um, but then I, I'm very receptive to improv. I'm very pre- uh, receptive to like how the location speaks to us. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the heartbreaking thing when you have a plan is that all like at every moment of the day when you're actually shooting, everything is coming at you to, to stop it. Everything's coming at you to pull it down and to to actually stop production. Um, and so you're flexing with that and you're, you're bowing with that and you're just like, okay, I know that I had this idea for this to be a profile, but actually, or maybe this was going to be three shots, and it's actually better if it's a one shot. Maybe we do a dolly move that actually encompasses all the coverage in the dolly move. Mm. Okay, that's great. Or if an actor comes up to you and says, "Let me show you something," and you're like, yeah. "All right, go." You know, that's my fate. Like actors, actor and directing actors was a very sort of scary thing for me. Was it? Okay. In the beginning, because I don't come from theater, I'm not. I'm not the type of guy who acts himself. You know. Um, and I'm very much like I come from a technical background. So like I, you know, a, a cinematographer, a comic book artist, all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So 
when you start dealing with humans and you start dealing with human beings <laughs> and then you're at this point um, where you're trying to convey what it is that you see um, early on in the career, the big mistake that a lot of folks make is that they tell actors very specifically, like talk like this or do like this or act it out for them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah. that is, that is the worst thing you can do. Absolutely. And I learned that actually from doing music videos because with music videos, I used to be like really, uh, very calculated about my shots and how I would do these shots. And I found that, uh, sometimes I would actually be restrictive to the performer because the performer would be locked within my frame and be locked within my space. Mm. And then when I just, when I would just say to them, like, show me what you're going to do and they would do it, I would change my coverage or my perspective based upon what I'm seeing. Right. Um, and with actors, I love to do that. I I love an actor that'll come on set and have done their homework, mm-hmm. and and I'll just go like, okay, so show me what you're thinking, and then direction from in, in my mind is subtle details after that, where it's like I like it, but speed it up, or you know maybe you should speak a little bit differently, or maybe you should allow this person to say something before you say something. Like then you're just giving direction that can be easily interpreted interpreted by them. Yes, you know, yeah, okay. Because I, I come from the acting background and I come from that world. So for me, that was the best bit. I, I didn't understand the technical side of it at all um, <laughs> when I started directing. And I was like, okay, kind of fell into directing, trying to make a, a TV pilot. Well, we did make it. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience so much. But for me, it's because I could work with the actors. And I came from a theatre background and I had directed plays and stuff like that. So, so therefore, suddenly it was like, oh, God, wow, I can get this image and i can use the camera like this and it was the biggest joy i've ever had i I totally agree you can go on set and you'll suddenly find a new you you go there with your locked off shot this is what i want this is where the camera's gonna go and they'll come in and go well how about if i walk around here how about if i did this and you go well that's really cool how the fuck are we gonna film this now right (laughs) okay and that's when you start thinking outside the box and really sort of working hard and your brain goes okay i know i could fall back on my own version um, but you do want to think outside the box. For sure, for sure, dude. I mean, it just happened to me. I just finished doing uh, a proof of concept film um, that hopefully will be released like next week. Oh, um, wow. What's that? What's that called? It's a short film called Who's There? Um, and it's I've like I've seen a, the poster um, on your website. It looks amazing. And it's uh, a really sort of scary uh, proof of concept short film that is being used to sell a larger idea and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, but when I was doing this shoot, I very calculated and, and uh, we actually shot in this, um, this old house built in like the early 1800s. It was just gorgeous. And originally the, the treatment had called for a smaller family home and mm-hmm. um, we wanted it to be a little bit more claustrophobic. And I, I, we found this house and I walked in and it was like The Shining. It felt like a, like a Kubrick house. Um, and I couldn't, for the life of me, say no to it because I, I was just so inspired by this home. And I remember calling up the writer, Will Simmons, who I work with. And um, I was like, dude, I found this fucking house. It is so great. It is bigger than what we had originally intended. Uh-huh. And he's like, let's, let's just, if you were inspired by it, let's just rewrite some of the scenes and, and do that. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so, so then we ended up shooting it. And while we're shooting it, I had the sequence uh, all planned out where I had to get an actress from like one room to the next. And it's, it's a, it's like a very sort of suspenseful thriller, slight horror piece. And um, it's a shooting horror can be really boring and tedious because it's a whole lot of cutaways. It's a whole lot of just insert shots. And then, you know, without the audio, without the music, a lot of it is just someone like walking down a hallway, looking scared, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, when you're planning coverage for that, it's hard not to be redundant and repetitive. Mm. So like if someone's going to reach for a door handle, you're like, okay, this is how I would do it here, but how's it going to be different the next time they do it? How's it going to be different the next time? And I remember I had a sequence planned with her where she was just going to walk down this hallway into this bathroom and I had it planned out pretty well on page, but she did a performance in the coverage right before that, that blew me away. And I was watching the performance and I was like, Oh my God. And, and she had like this very specific moment, um, 
the very emotional moment and very emotional cracking that happens in her voice. And, and at that moment while I'm watching the monitor, I just envisioned how I was going to get to the next spot. And it was completely different than what my boards were. And I remember calling cut, going over and congratulating her and doing such a great job. And then going to my AD going, okay, we got to throw out all this coverage. I'm going to sit down right now really quickly, write up what we're going to do for coverage to get to the next spot. And in my head, I saw everything. I heard the music. Yeah. I, I heard how we were going to get down the hallway. And it literally was different two minutes before. And it wasn't until I saw how the actor performed. And I think that's really important as a director is that you have to leave yourself open for that because, dude, I'm not a fucking genius. And I can't stand these directors that we call geniuses because half the shit that we fucking love that they do is all either accidental or it's uh, because of the stuff that they had to encounter. Totally Fucking love you said that. So true. so true it's yeah it's it's not it's not genius work i mean but by by far there are there are like really amazing storytellers and very eclectic people and i i think that there are those same folks in cinema but majority of us man you're just you're you're reacting Mm -hmm. and i think if you're not open to that then your shit's going to be very two-dimensional it's going to be very much done on a page in pre-pro um, and you know, maybe it's great, but there are always these little things. And I imagine that, that like say it comes alive. If you're just, just shooting your boards and there's no excitement on the day and you're not being scared and you're not f- pushing yourself, then your film will be boring. It yeah. will just have no life because you can see the ones that have life on screen. You can see it. You can feel it. You can go, fuck me. I don't know what's going to happen. And obviously you've got to plan some things. If you're doing a jump scare, whatever, you, you've got to plan that. But yeah, magical how things happen, right? For sure, dude. And then, you know, for me, I, I edit a lot of my own films. So I've, mm. I've edited most of my films. And so there are these different stages for filmmaking for me. There's pre-production and yeah. pre-production is like the biggest scare on pre-production is like, maybe this won't happen. It, and like, like yeah, yeah. That, that's like the biggest scare for, for any of it. So you're sort of going through it and you're like, uh, okay, what are my restrictions? Like I'm in the process right now of planning out my first feature and uh, first major feature with a Hollywood production company, which is super crazy. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very crazy. And so, you know, we're writing the script or we were writing the script and I'm like, okay, so what are the restrictions? And they're like, don't think, in, don't think restrictions. I'm like, that's that's not how I work. It's not. I, I live in a world with the restrictions. So like, what what are the restrictions that I have? And so the pre pro is just this weird. Uh, I can do anything in the world, and and then like trying to find like as a director, I try to make my own boundaries, and I go, okay, well, here are the restrictions that I have, and this is what I want to do, and all the pra- the effects are going to be done practically, and blah 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 blah. And so then you, you do that and then you plan it all out. You have it on the page and you fall in love with it. You look at it on the page and you go, okay, this is fantastic. And then you go through the process of producing the fucking thing mm. where people are like, uh, guess what? You can't have as many extras as you want or that location that you wanted fell through yep. or this thing. So then you start shifting and bending for that. Then you show up on the day and shit happens yeah. on the day. Yeah. You know, like uh, a great example of this was um, my film 12 Kilometers, yeah. which is the sh- short film. Um, about a Russian drill team in the 1980s that dug the deepest hole known to man. And this was based on something that happened to you when you smashed your head open, basically. Yeah, yeah, smash. We get into that. Yeah. Um, so I'm on this set of this film, which takes place in the 1980s. It takes place in Russia. I'm shooting it outside of Boston. Um, <laughs> and it's supposed to be happening in a drill facility. So like, there's a whole lot of cheating going on. And there's a whole lot riding on like whether or not I can get the specific location and how I can uh, make the place seem bigger with lighting. Uh, there's a whole lot of shit. And at the time, I, it's, a, it's a very big production design heavy movie. And my production design team was working days on features here in the city. I think they're working on like Zookeeper or something that was happening oh, here in, yeah, the, okay. in the city. And then at nights, they would go build my set. And I had convinced the guy who, who owned the location, he was very generous. And he goes, you can have this whole spot for a month mm. for nothing. Mm. He's like, you could build your sets for a month. You could do this. What a guy. So, so I was able to spread it out for a while and have dudes working at nights. 
And then, of course, as always, you have a month, but everything crams itself on the back end, always. Always. And uh, so I remember uh, talking to my production designer, and he was exhausted. This dude had been busting his ass. And I, I said to him, like, are you going to have it all built? Tomorrow I have, like, the biggest steady cam move through this place, and we're going to see the whole spot. I have, like, 30 extras. I have all this stuff happening, and it isn't built yet. And I'm like, are you going to be able to pull this stuff off? And he's like, yes. We'll pull it off tonight. We'll do like an overnight. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And in my gut, I'm like, mm, this is never going to happen. But you have to trust people. You have to try to get to sleep. <laughs> you have to try to get to sleep. And so I remember I, I go home, go to sleep, and I get a phone call at like four, four in the morning Fuck. or five in the morning. Yeah. And the, the production designer's like, we've done as much as we can. I'm sorry. Everybody's falling asleep. We have to go home. It's becoming unsafe. This is a thing. And I'm like, why is it even unsafe? Like, go home, sleep. It's And he's like, we got as much built as we can. And so I was like, okay, fine. And so we go and we I show up to set early. And I get there and uh, my DP, David Crude, is there. And he's there earlier than me. And this is the first time him and I have worked together. Oh, and, wow. Okay. And so, and he came in from New York. And so, you know, before I realized he's just a regular dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, the t- at the time, I'm like, I got my DP coming from New York. Everything's going to be great. I've convinced this guy to come and work on this thing. He had just won like an a, like a emerging filmmaker or emerging cinematographer award. Mm-hmm. Like all sorts of stuff going on. So I get to set and he walks over to me and he's like, hey, welcome. And I was like, yeah, what's going on, man? And he's like, uh, have you seen... Have you seen the hole? Which is the whole movie circling around this this fucking hole. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and he's like, have you seen the hole? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I, I walk to the set and there's supposed to be this winch set up over this hole that <laughs> will drop this cable down into it. Uh-huh. And the team has this little tripod set up over the hole. And the uh, cinematographer looks at me and goes, is that what you're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and i remember i remember he was just testing me and i look at him and go a, f- a fucking course not that's not what i'm thinking and and the ad comes over to me one of my favorite dudes uh vlad um he comes over to me and he's like what do you want to do we have 30 extras we're supposed to do a steady cam shot around this hole how are we going to pull this scene off and i'm inside panicking like inside mm. my body i'm just screaming going, I can't believe this is happening. I've done all this preparation. I've had this location for a month. I don't understand why we're here. Um, but I have to play it cool. And this is part of being a director. And I, I turn to the guys and I go, okay, let's think about this. You know, I, I want to throw things around, but I'm like, let's think about this. Let's walk over to the storyboards. And so we walk over to the storyboards and I go, look, I will fix that hole, but I need at least two hours to fix that hole. So why don't we do this? Here are the boards. Let's Let's shoot this completely wrong. I want you guys to do all the inserts first, right. which is ass, which is ass backwards because you don't know where the hands are going to be. You don't know how exa- yeah. you, you don't know. And so I was like, you guys got to go do all the inserts first. Uh, uh, Vlad, you can direct them. Kruda, you know, Kruda is this DP. You know what you need to get from this. Go shoot the inserts. And so for a moment, part of that huge amount of stress is slightly taken away from me because those guys are often doing their job once again, relying on people. Um, and then I remember turning to my assistant and I'm looking at him and he's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, we have to just walk out of the set. We have to walk out of here. And I walk <laughs> out to the back of the, to the set and I'm pacing on the loading dock. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And, and I am within my right to f- start crying. Of course, totally. <laughs> like at that point, like that's what, what your body is telling you to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember just sort of thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, look, I can break down and everything goes to shit. Or let's think about this. Let's troubleshoot for a minute. Let's figure out where we can get one of these things. Let's pretend like I know what this is. And I'm like, you have the internet on your phone. Search for this and this and this. And so I remember he was doing searches for rental places and people that ran construction sites and everything. And he goes, I found this rental place. And I was like, okay, great. Do they have these winch things? And he went through and he found like this really great looking winch setup. And I was like, fantastic. It was like a fucking Saturday. And I'm like, are they are they, are they open? And he goes, for another hour. Oh, fuck. And so I get on the phone. I call this guy on the phone. And he's, you know, blue collar worker. And I used to be a house painter. I used to be a car mechanic. So I know these guys and I know what mode he's in where it's like, it's, it's ready for beers. You know, he's essentially like, it's, it's Saturday. I'm ready to get off my shift 
and have beers. And I call this guy and I go, do you have this winch set up? And he goes, yeah, so what? And I'm like, can I see what it looks like? Do you have what it looks like? He goes, no, it's not set up. I'm like, can you set it up and take a picture of it for me? <laughs> and the guy's like, the guy's like, who the fuck yeah, are you, go man? Go fuck yourself. Why should I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why should? I? And I'm like, dude, I'm this guy. I'm making this movie, and he was kind of perking up, which is the benefits of shooting in a city like yeah, Boston, definitely. Like, okay, and not LA. And and he's like, uh, all right. And I was like, can you set this thing up? I'm gonna send somebody over with insurance documents and everything else we need to get it. And he's like, okay, great. And so he sets it up, sends me a picture. I go, it's fucking perfect. Now we're about half hour after my uh, being alerted as to what's going on with the hole. So then I'm like, I need someone to get it. And no one's in the area and it's about an hour away. And so I'm running back into the makeup room and I've cast my brother. Um, and my brother, I've cast him most of my movies. He's a, he's a, he's a contractor in real life. He's a, he works on houses. He's a carpenter. Um, and I, he's sitting in the makeup chair getting made up to look like a Russian miner. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brian, right? Your brother, Brian. Yeah. 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 And so I burst in the room and he's there and I go, get out of your chair. I need you. I need you to drive in this direction and I will call you with directions. Fuck. I need you to dr- I love that. drive here. Jesus. And he, it, being an amazing brother, he's like, all right. And he gets in his truck and he takes off. And so we figure out the insurance, we figure out all that crap. And I tell him, you're picking up this winch thing. Make sure all the pieces are there. So while the team is shooting inserts and shooting close-ups, now I go and catch up with the team and they've got through all of the detail shots. And now I have to start shooting like reaction shots. And so I'm trying to keep all this in my brain. And I'm like, okay, here are the reaction shots that I'm thinking. And we'll shoot these guys doing this over here and we'll move these props over here. And while we're doing that, my brother and the art team are actually setting up the winch over the hole, and then seamlessly we got to go into the steady cam. Amazing, amazing. So, I mean, that was, and at the end of that day, that was one of the most brutal tests that I've ever been put through. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that day, I remember turning to my assistant and looking at him and going, fuck yes. Like, if if we can conquer this, and we conquered it so goddamn well, and it was like no one noticed. Yeah. Um, if, If we can do this right, I could do any Hollywood movie. There you go. And so it, that was that turning moment. See, that's that's great filmmaking because you could have easily gone, do you know what? Fuck it. Right. Do you know what? It's not working. Had a strop, screamed at someone. Everyone would have got upset. And you might have just gone, right, it's just not going to happen. Fuck it. Yep. Or let's do it tomorrow, whatever. And you've spent all this time and money and effort and getting everyone there. And that is, the you know, that's the sound of a good director sort of going, okay, how do we think outside the box? What can I do to get through this and get the shoot and get the shots? And look at that. It's perfect. You did it really well. Let's talk about 12 kilometers then, because, you know, tell mm-hmm. us a story about what happened, where this came from. Uh, okay. So the, the premise of 12 kilometers is based upon an actual experience. So mm-hmm. in the late seventies, there was a Russian drill team that literally dug uh, a hole into the planet. Like they were drilling down the deepest hole that they possibly could. Mm. And the only reason they stopped was I think their drill bits were melting. Like they they were hitting hot. Like, yeah. It's going to get yeah. so hot. It's ridiculous. And that, 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 that was only at like 12 km. So mm-hmm. um, I had heard about this story and I was like, wow, it's really cool. And there was this myth that was circul- circulating around it where apparently the scientists had lowered microphones down into the hole. And I think the myth was spread by some sort of Christian fundamentalists. And they were saying that, uh, you know, they recorded the sounds of people screaming from hell. And <laughs> I remember I remember going, wow, the buildup for that's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole screaming and the whole thing mm, might be a little weird, but the buildup's rad. And this was years ago that I had heard about it. And I was like, man, and I was talking to one of my friends who ended up being the lead, uh, R.R. Wooland, and uh, he speaks Russian. And uh, I was talking to him about it. I was like, man, it'd be really cool to make this movie. I said, if if we we were going to do it, I'd I'd do it in Russian, you know? And uh, he laughed. And then I go, but who the fuck's going to pay for it? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so the idea just sort of shelved. And um, a few years later... I uh, was going on a date. I had met uh, this new girl and uh, we were dating for a little while and we were friends before that. And um, congratulations. She was always, congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Of right. course. Yeah. It's, a, it's a rare thing. <laughs> you worked hard. <laughs> 
so uh, we went on a bunch of dates, but she was constantly bringing up ice skating. And at this point, I'm like 35. So at this point, I've never put ice skates on in my life. Oh my and, gosh. Oh God. And I'm like avoiding it. Yeah, of course. I'm avoiding it. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, maybe sometime. Mm -hmm. And she approaches me with the whole, well, you never do what I want to do thing that comes out. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. I guess. All right. I guess I got to do it. And in my head, I'm like, okay, so maybe I'll twist an ankle or something. All right, fine. <laughs> uh, and so we go to this big skate pond, which here in Boston, it's called Frog Pond. It's down on the Boston Common. It's like the big romantic skate pond. And right. we get on there, get ice skates. I put them on my feet. I put them on my feet. And I'm trying to learn as I'm walking across the padding. I'm learning how to walk on I have to blades. walk on them is hard, let alone yeah. skate. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so... Uh, she pulls me out in the ice and she's, t she's tugging me around and I'm watching as like these little five-year-old kids are just doing pirouettes mm -hmm. around me, yeah, like dancing around me and embarrassing and I'm getting pissed. Yeah. Of and, and, and I just, and I Tried just say to, to her, some of them. yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so I say to her, do me a favor, just skate off, do your thing, have some good, have a good time and I'll figure this out. I'll figure out how to do this. And so she skates away and I watch this kid push off. And I go, oh, I can do that. And so I push uh -oh. and I slip backwards and I basically do a 180 and uh, feet come out from underneath me and I land on my head. And the last thing I hear is the sound of an old oak barrel cracking. Mm. So it's just... Um, and it wasn't and the I, ice. No. And I'll, I'll, I'm out, dude. Yeah. I am out. I wake up in the intensive care ward to a doctor shining a flashlight in my eyes. And he says... Um, uh, hey, um, we got to talk. And in my head, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Like I broke a leg or something and I passed out yeah. and I have been working straight, you know? So I haven't had a break in like 10 years or whatever it was. And so I'm like, oh my God, I got all this work next week and I got all this stuff going on. That's what's going through my head. And the doctor sort of filters through all that and he goes, here's the deal. You've cracked your skull. And you're you're bleeding internally. You have a hematoma forming on the top of your brain. Uh, what we normally do is we drill into the skull to release the pressure, mm -hmm. but it is forming on top of the major blood vessel. Oh, my gosh. And, and if we drill literally a half millimeter too deep, uh, you bleed out and you die. And so he's like, uh, we can't let you go to sleep because you may not wake up. Uh, you got to call your family. <sighs> oh, and my gosh. So at that point, I w dealt with it. Uh, my girlfriend st stuck with me. And this is early in our relationship. She's st in the hospital. She had to call my family, had to beat my family really through this whole process. Mm. Well, technically, um, it's her fault. So, I mean, you know, she yeah. shouldn't fucking be there. <laughs> she never get, I always hold it. Um, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So then, uh, so then part of the thing about staying awake for like 48 hours straight is that I start to hallucinate and the pressure that's on my brain is causing crazy hallucinations and then the drugs and everything else. So uh -huh. I, I start to have these waking dreams and I have these dreams where my inner voice, I'm convinced that my inner voice doesn't belong to myself. Um, and there's recordings of me, uh, talking to my girl, just saying like, you got to record this. I'm going through this experience. This is so crazy. And I would tell her all the stuff that I was going through. Um, and, uh, fast forward five days in intensive care, the bleeding stops. Um, and then I have to go through five months of recovery cause I have multiple concussions. Wow. And, and the, the doctor says to me like, what do you do for work? He's like, are you on a stressful job? I go, yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, you can't direct, you can't do that shit for at least five months. And so I ended up uh, bedridden and I still cannot keep my brain from doing what it is that I need to do. So I was so inspired by the events that I went through, for, through the recovery and dealing with hallucinations, dealing with vertigo, um, that I started to write a script or an, I started to outline a feature. Uh, okay. And that feature was 12 cam about this guy that was losing control over his inner voice. 
Um, and I needed to come with, I need to come up with like an origin story. Um, and I'm like this, he's got to be infected with something. It has to be coming from somewhere. And then I remember the Russia thing and I was like, Oh fuck, that's great. Like this ties in really well. Um, and so then I went to the recovery, got out of the recovery in the back end, and my business partner, Ian, at the time, uh, we were just doing commercials and music videos, and I, I came out of it, and I go, I'm making a fucking movie. Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, life's like too one short. Thing. You're like, life's short. You know what I mean? You Dude, go get on yeah, with it. I mean, because you ask yourself those questions. I had multiple times during the recovery process where they thought I was going to die. And so when you're sort of sitting there going... Uh, assessing your life and like i've had a pretty good career i've done a bunch of music videos i've done all such a great stuff i've mm -hmm. got this girl it's been really great my one regret really is that i haven't made a feature yeah um and so coming out of the back end of that i was like fuck it i'm making a movie um and then i knew that i had to do a proof of concept for it like a short yes um and i decided there's a whole other story i had done this other um fan film i had done a uh a a comic book fan film by a major comic book company. And I had worked with this whole crew and team of people and put together a proof of concept for that. And then that company came and uh, basically sent me a cease and desist and I had to stop everything. Oh man. I've heard that a few times from some of our guys come on the podcast, guys and girls have all said, yeah, we were making this and it just, they came and said, no, you got to stop. What was yeah, yours? What was yours? Was it? It was a movie called, uh, the uh, dead can't be distracted. Right. Um, okay. and, and it was, uh, Essentially, I could say it. Give a shit. It was essentially a, a, a Punisher fan film, Punisher, and this yeah. was this was prior to Netflix. This was prior to all that shit. Um, and I had convinced my crew to do this, and I had convinced my crew of people to spend all this time and do this. And I, I got really good music. I got really great shit. Um, but then no one could see it. Oh, and, and so, man. and so then fast forward to twelve km. I'm gonna go back to that well again. I'm gonna go back to that team. And I knew that if I was going to ask them to do this, I had to make a short film that was more than just like a reel or like a fucking quick little sizzle reel of proof of concept. I had to make a film that I could screen and I had to make a film that had acts and, and that we can go with. So uh, I ended up taking what essentially was the cold open for my original treatment for the feature, which was Russia, and made that the short and expanded on that, made it about 30 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how 12 game came to be love it i love it and how was then obviously shooting it after that first day when it was ridiculously difficult you got some great people in it lance williams who's done loads of work including the recent equalizer too uh david yep. affleck ara woolland who you mentioned pavel chateau who's in orange is the new black uh and your brother as well is obviously um the drill book <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was it was a blast man like it for, it was a weird thing because I decided because I financed it partly through a Kickstarter, but then mostly self-financed. Okay. Um, and and then I was like, well, fuck it. If I'm the boss, then I'm going to do this thing in Russian. So I thought, <laughs> fuck it. Do you know what I mean? It's different and interesting and exciting. Yeah, dude. And and I don't speak the language. That's so always a problem. <laughs> that was a thing. And usually, you know, usually I would DP my own stuff, and I realized at that point. Um, look, if I'm going to be dealing yeah. <laughs> with multiple, multiple translators and people that don't speak English, mm -hmm. I can't DP it at the same yeah. time. And that's, yeah. that's how I met my DP who was amazing. And him and I do everything oh, good. now. Good. I'm very pleased. Um, cause, but, uh, cause like you great. said, you hadn't met him and suddenly he turns up on your first day of set. That's kind of scary in itself, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so. Very much so. But uh, it was good, man. And it, it, like, I learned a lot and I actually got a great cast because most Russian actors are always cast as like the henchman or the bad guy. Yeah. And so I was able to get really talented people uh, that wanted to do it because the characters were interesting to them. Yes. Okay. When I put 12KM out, uh, I didn't release it actually. When I, when I had an article written on it, then I got a bunch of attention from Hollywood and I got uh, management because of it, and I got agent because of it. Um, and those guys enabled me and a writer. I got a, I met Will, Will Simmons, a really great writer, uh, who is much better than I am. And one of the things that you should do in this business is understand when someone's better than you mm -hmm. and understand when to take a step back. Um, and uh, he wanted to write a version of 12KM that uh, was different than what I wanted to do, and his was going back to Russia and back to the whole... And I was like, fuck yeah, all right, cool. Um, and so he wrote an amazing uh, script for it. And we ended up 
uh, being able to pitch to some amazing production companies. Like we went everywhere. So we were pitching to like directors that make movies about dudes with chainsaw arms or directors that make movies about giant robots and directors that make, you know, like we went and pitched all over the place and we ended up, and I'm not allowed to say who we're working with yet because they're going to make a big release on it. I'm sure. Um, but we ended up with one of the best in my mind it could not be any better. Oh, and it's I'm so pleased for you. That's fucking it is brilliant. like it is a director who I um who I've loved for years. He's hugely influential. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things where if you see the trailer for this film mm. and then it goes from so and so that has done so and so and so and so and so and so uh, you're just going to go, I want to see this fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. From the producers <laughs> off, from the exec producer off, from the director, and you're just going, yeah, yeah, well, they yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah, so oh, um, man, it's been... It, it, but it's a long process, man. Like, we ended up hooking up with those guys at least a year ago, right. and, you know, everything just takes forever. Are you, you still know? doing everything. it in Russian? Is that still the plan? Have they pushed it back to go, do you know what, you kind of have to do this in American? I'm going to mix it. It'll be mixed. Okay, cool. So I think we're just trying to get talent attached and we have it out to a bunch of really interesting folks for talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shit just takes forever. It does and in the mean, forever. yeah. Dude, I cannot sit around and wait. Of course you and, can't. And in that period of time, I got management, I got agents, I got all that stuff. Come on. And, yeah. me and me and the writer were just like, hey, why don't we, why don't we come up with some other, some other stuff? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, who's there was... The first of the other things. And then we have this other thing that I can't talk about that's also being pushed. Um, so I, I just believe in putting the irons out in the fire because you never know which one's going to kick first. And I hope it's 12 cam. It's something because, we talk about a lot is don't just have one project because if you just got one project, it hurts too much when it falls apart and inevitably it will fall apart. One of them will fall apart. You might get lucky. If yep, you've got yep. three, four, five, therefore it's not so bad. It doesn't hurt as much. It hurts because you've put so much effort into it. But it's all right, cool, because we can push on this one. And then you yep. get a new one that joins your pile. It's, I think it's vital. In the past, when I first started, I had one project. And it hurt so much when you didn't hear back. And we had Jason Statham attached for six months. And we're waiting oh, for Jason oh. Statham. I, still, to this day, I have no idea if he ever even heard of my film. No idea. Yeah. And he probably didn't. Yeah, because you're so, you're so detached <laughs> yeah, from it. so detached. You were just someone else. You were just way down the line of someone. And you were probably being bargained against another film to get more money for him for another film. Oh, he's attached Dude. to this one, so you better pay him quickly. You know? Ugh. Yeah, and, and then you, you're also wondering, you know, because if you're going through agents, mm-hmm. you're also wondering, like, what that filter is doing. Totally. Like, yeah. what, is, what is their motivation? You know, is the budget, are they making a decent payday on the mm-hmm. budget? Like, it, it's just, what do I do in the meantime? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're going, well, I'm going to do my own. And I love that, that you've gone, yeah, that's happening. And yeah, great. It's over there. I can't do anything now. I'm waiting on talent. If one of them says, yes, great. A hundred, all steam ahead. In the yep. meantime, yep. I'm going to do this. Who's with me? Suddenly all the people are going, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll come. I'll come and do that with you. Because you're making shit. People like people exactly. who make shit and get off their ass and do stuff. I bang on about exactly. it all the time on my podcast, and you do as well. It's like, get up off your ass and fucking do something. Don't sit and procrastinate and fucking moan about it. Do something. Yeah, it's multifaceted is a very easy way to describe directing because directing it's literally like you've decided to take on and learn how to do 15 different careers. <laughs> that is like, I love that. That's so true. It's so true. Yeah. yeah you have crazy. to know it all. And it's great that you edit as well, because I found that the most important thing I say oh, acting completely. as well, but certainly editing. If you're on set and you don't know your shots, you're, how, how are you going to put this together? You, you you fucked when you come to the edit room. You go, oh my God, I've got no transition shot here. Oh, we're going to have to just pull back to some shitty wide or let's just put an insert shot in. If you've not thought about that, and that comes from editing and learning how to piece stuff together. Right, this has been fucking brilliant. Really cool chat. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Before we let you go, if, could, could you give us some advice uh, on directing? Little, I mean, it's a tough one. But yeah, just something that our listeners can go grab hold of. I, I would say 
don't be afraid to start. And don't be afraid to start as soon as you have the idea of doing it. Like someone said to me once that, uh, you know, I was always concerned of like, when can I call myself a director? Mm. And uh, the person was like, as soon as you decide to do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as, as soon as you decide to do it, as soon as you start to do your research, as soon as you start to put things together, it's like, uh, I'm, I am a director. I am uh, working to be a director. And then when you're on set and you're actually doing something on set and you're doing that, it's just like, I'm an experienced director now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because it's more of a mental thing than anything else. It's not about putting it on a business card and, and trying to con somebody into giving you money. It's more about mental shit for you. Because as soon as you uh, accept the idea that you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And you just have to brace yourself for how long it takes to do that. This is a career path. I mean, there's no, it's no accident that like the most successful dudes are like in their, f at least in their late forties, fifties. Yeah. I mean, you, you have like these randos that are lucky and they somehow figured it out, mm -hmm. but it, it's no mistake that Clint Eastwood can do whatever the fuck he wants. And he's like, what in the seventies or something 80s, like that? And, 80s, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Dude. And, and so I, I saw a quote with him where he, he was like, uh, I'm still learning every day. That's why I still do it. There you go. Um, yeah. Um, so just don't be afraid to get started and, and, and start and don't be afraid to learn in front of people. Uh, cause it will teach you how to take rejection. Well, it'll teach you how to read an audience, um, and I think those are really important. Love that. That's great advice. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Mike, for your time. Really appreciate this coming on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, man. It's a great conversation. So where can, where can people, our lovely people who are listening to our wonderful podcast, um, where can, uh, where can our lot follow you on social media? So what I've been saying lately, uh, 12 cam is not out online yet, but if you want to see 12 cam, then follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. Um, if you follow me there and you drop me a message or a note, telling me what your favorite horror movies are, then I will send you a private link. Oh, I like that. Nice. Uh, that's what I've been doing over the past month or so. And um, I've had uh, almost 200 people write amazing reviews for the film on uh, on IMDb. Um, and then if you follow me on uh, Instagram in general, that's kind of, I'm a visual guy. So like Twitter doesn't do shit for me. Right. Okay. Um, and then uh, In Love With The Process is the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, that is officially up. There's also an Instagram for it, In Love With The Process, P-O-D. So that's In Love With The Process pod um, on Instagram as well. Um, we, I try to do shows in between work, like you do, I'm sure. Uh -huh. um, and I just did, my latest episode was with Tom Cruise's stuntman, yeah. uh, Wade, Wade Eastwood. Yeah. Um, Cause that fucking in Mission Impossible fight scene shit that happened, it was so good, dude. So that good. bathroom fight, that bathroom oh. fight was incredible, wasn't it? Fuck oh. me! It is called In Love with the Process. Is a really cool podcast. Um, and if anyone hasn't heard his podcast, then I suggest they go and listen to it. And it's very similar to what we do. They talk about filmmaking. They talk about how to make films um, with similar people to what we do. And it's the American version, and it's really cool. Thanks, man. So you're not on, you're not on Twitter at all, then? I am. Yeah, Mike Petchy on Twitter, which usually is just uh, reposting um, whatever on I have on Instagram. Yeah. And yeah. then um, you could follow me at mikepetchy.com. Mikepetchy.com has like all of uh, like trailers, all music video stuff. It's amazing. It's um, an amazing website. Go look at. This is how a director should have a website. I well, what, I looked you, at yours and went, "Fuck, I need to do mine." Uh, dude, I look at someone else's and I go, fuck, I need to do my <laughs> Isn't that just how we are in life? We look at something else and go, I want that. The grass is always greener type thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's totally that's good. That's good. Great. Okay. So, cause we, we, we do the Twitter a lot. Uh, I didn't, I, I'm on Insta as that Giles Alderson, but 
uh, we haven't put the podcast on there. By, by the way, the girlfriend that uh, I tried to murder me. Yes, her. <laughs> yes. What happened to her? Uh, she, we're still together. Uh, it's Gina. Gina's fucking fantastic. Oh, and, man, uh, that's lovely ending. Uh, she's also a fashion photographer, but she gives me so much shit because I'm on my fucking phone all the time just trying to keep these accounts updated. <laughs> Mate, totally. Yeah, mine, mine misses too. Uh, this has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Well, th- thank you so much, man. And I've had a blast talking with you and, and dude let's keep in touch man because uh yeah i can i'd love to pick your brain yeah i'd like to pick yours please do man thank you um good you can follow me at giles alderson on twitter or follow the podcast at filmmakers pod or filmmakerspodcast.com where we've got a back catalog of over 70 podcasts where we're talking to amazing directors producers and actors including mark strong uh including rupert graves including some amazing other people i can't remember right now and i really should <laughs> uh you know the ones we've got Stu bennett um scott adkins of course and loads of amazing directors uh, and producers do do check out our back catalogue being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is get out there and do it and remember if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up it's your duty to send that elevator back down thank you so much for listening we will be back with you next tuesday as always we will see you then mike you take care buddy you too my friend all right all the best everyone bye-bye